listener who likes his podcast incredibly thoughtful and delivered in a Midwestern baritone, and you've come to the right one. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor, and though I don't possess a baritone voice, the man who does is today's guest, Dan Moore. Dan Moore is the co-proprietor of Viva Albertos, an SB Nation blog about the Cardinals. He's also the former proprietor of Get Up Baby. I sit down around the fictional yet still incredibly round table with Dan Moore, discuss not only the Cardinals and some of their current narratives, but also the art of baseball writing in general. Dan Moore is the man to talk about this with. Having graduated from the University of Missouri, Mr. Moore is bound for Colorado State, where he'll be going for an MFA in fiction. Beyond those credentials, though, Mr. Moore is also a fantastic writer whose work can be found all over Viva Albertos, in particular his occasional one-act plays, at least one of which we discuss on this particular episode. Please do stay tuned for this incredibly thoughtful guest, Dan Moore, on Fangraphs Audio right now. Yes, indeed, welcome to Fangraphs Audio, and this is a very special episode of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, If you listened to the Charlie Wilmoth edition a couple months ago, uh, that's Charlie Wilmoth of Buck's Dugout, you will have some idea of what to expect here. Uh, today, the uh, almost willing participant is a gentleman by the name of Dan Moore. Dan Moore is uh, f- currently the operator of Get Up Baby. Uh, additionally, uh, I'm going to bet that he's a very interesting man. Uh, Dan Moore, how, uh, how are you today? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. And you're joining us from the, from the wild Midwest, is that right? Yes. Lovely Springfield, Illinois. Yeah, heaven on earth, I understand. Uh, if you're an Abraham Lincoln fan, there is no place better in the universe. Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. I I guess I'm I guess I'm a fan. Um, now, listen, Dan. The the reason you're here, and the place, uh, and that therefore it's the place we're going to start, is because I don't even know how it happened. But uh, of course, when I'm wasting time on the internet, I do find myself going to the strangest of places. This wasn't that strange, but I happened upon a a piece you'd written over at Viva Albertos. Uh, it's it's called More Penny Puns and Kyle Lowe, a play in one act, right? So Kyle Lowe, a, a Viva Alberto's play in one act. And it's this, it's essentially it's this scene uh, that follows a kind of depressed Kyle Loesch around, um, leaving messages on John Mazeliak's uh, office answering machine, um, playing video games uh, with uh, Matt Holliday and uh, having deep conversations with Colby Rasmus at some sort of video game place. Uh, Dave and Buster's, yes. Is this is this a, a Midwestern? Uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's strictly Midwestern. It's uh, kind of I think their business plan is Chuck E. Cheese for adults, uh, <laughs> where you pay too much for food and then too much to play some video games. Wait, just so and, you're saying Chuck E. Cheese isn't for adults? Uh, Chuck E. Cheese for adults with no children. Oh, okay. I, well, that actually does a, sound uh, quite a bit better. Yes. However, all right. So reading this, this is okay. So first of all, the piece itself is amazing. And uh, it made me uh, thrust my hand into the air with joy. I understand a couple things. I understand, first of all, like I said, you're the managing editor of Viva Albertos. You do a lot of writing for the site, a lot of stuff that's not one-act plays. Yes. I I understand another thing about you, which is that you've been doing these one-act plays for a while. My question is, like, what is the sort of genesis for this? And, you know, why, how did you start writing these things in the first place? And uh, do people ever, do they toss wicked barbs in your direction, or are they generally supportive? Uh, well, I, I guess I started because 
I, I guess to go back to the beginning, in uh, in 2003 when I started blogging, uh, there was a lot less math involved, I guess, to be a sabermetrically inclined blogger. Um, it was still in the time period where there was no thought toward defensive value at all. And uh, if you knew how to calculate runs created, you could act like you were this genius um, future Billy Bean type. Uh, but two years later, or yeah, probably two years later, I realized that I was way behind. You know, I was a liberal arts major. I knew no math past uh, high school. And um, I, I just was not an interesting person when it came to <laughs> numbers and statistical analysis. And I was more interested personally in kind of, uh, I guess, more literary pursuits and just uh, noodling around. So I started doing these one-act plays, and um, people generally like them. I get kind of a default complaint every time that I'm not talking enough about the Cardinals and that I've turned Viva Albertos into this personal glorification site. But when that doesn't happen, people are generally pretty supportive. Do you, do you like glory? Uh, I do. I mean, secretly, I am turning it into a personal glorification <laughs> site. Until now, I've never admitted it. Well, it's good. So th- this is kind of like uh, the Oprah of uh, baseball uh, podcast, yes, I guess. This is my tearful confession. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll uh, pass you a Kleenex here in a second. But before – so I guess my, my question is, though, it, because I, I think that, um, you know, one of the, the excellent things about the Internet – and uh, this is something that uh, I've, I've heard in a couple different ways, a co- expressed a couple different ways uh, in a series that's currently running over at Fangraphs called uh, Why We Write, is that it allows uh, probably a greater deal of experimentation um, among its writers because the stakes are so low, right? I mean, the barrier of entry for writing on the Internet is really just like minimal typing skills probably. And then after that, it's, you know, it's more of a meritocracy. And as such... You know, it, it allows people to take some risks, I guess. It's really exciting for me to, to watch as a, a reader and someone who's interested in it. And, it, you know, it's exciting to come across things like you've just written uh, or that you have been writing because you are allowed to um, to take those sorts of risks. And I guess, I guess I'm curious as to, as to how this was the way you got to be involved, right, by writing these one-night plays. Is this something that's occurring uh, outside of it? I mean, are you a, a playwright uh, by trade? Um, and how did you choose to play as opposed to, you know, like the uh, sort of Roger Angel sort of uh, long meditative type of narrative essay? Yeah, I'm actually not a playwright, and I think that's what makes it easier for me. Um, I don't expect a lot out of myself in these, I guess. And um, by kind of just playing with this form I'm not very familiar with, uh, it's kind of less of a personal risk, I guess. Uh, because if it's not funny, it's not funny. But, uh, you know, I tried it, and it's one day's worth of Viva Alberto's posting. So, like you said, I'm not risking a lot by by trying to write this. Yeah, do you feel like it, it's sort of maybe a different way to celebrate the players or celebrate the game? Because I feel like, for me, um, I'm sometimes disappointed when... And, and of course, Will Leach, who uh, you know wrote for Deadspin, writes for New York Magazine now, um, and as a Cardinals fan as well, I, I think that one of the points he generally makes is that it, 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 sports writers, the people who are paid to do it, don't always necessarily appear to to enjoy their life or their job. Um, <laughs> certainly growing up in the Boston area and reading uh, lots of Dan Shaughnessy, he seems to just he seems to hate everything about it, which is why, as a reader, it's a little bit shocking. Um, 
Now, you know, the, the stuff that you're doing there, and, and of course, um, there are some other excellent names out there, people who seem to celebrate it. I, you know, do you, do you view celebration as something that you're trying to do consciously? Um, and, you know, do you try and introduce that into other areas of, of your work over Viva Albertos, if so? Uh, yeah, I think I, this might have come from, uh, you know, having a World Series in my lifetime, because I feel like after 2006, I just got a lot less interested in, um, in the kind of just self self-loathing fandom that you see on some blogs where just everything is a new catastrophe and people need to be fired and replaced and uh thrown out and i just i it's a hobby and i want to treat it like a hobby that i enjoy and uh something that i'm following because it it interests me uh not because i have to and that's that's made me a lot calmer, I think, than I used to be. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's sort of calmness. I mean, it, it's apparent for me. It's probably also important to uh, to maintaining some semblance of sanity, uh, you know, especially when the commentariat can be uh, on your back occasionally. Um, although they they appear to be pretty well behaved over there. Um, I do want to get actually later on in this. I do want to get to to sort of uh, your, I guess. Your thoughts on writing in a more in a more uh, general sense, and perhaps uh, you know some understanding of of uh, you and your your own literary tastes, much as we did for Charlie Wilmoth and his musical uh, tastes and and work. Uh, but first, uh, let's d- let's delve into some of those catastrophes specific to the Cardinals that are currently going on. Uh, I guess there are a couple of narrative threads going on right now. In I don't know, do you call it Cardinal Nation? Is that a, is that a term you use? Uh, it's not a term I use, but it's a term that's used. Um, the Red Sox kind of ruined that for me. And I, uh, as, as someone who works for SB Nation, I probably shouldn't say this, but the nation metaphor of uh, baseball fandom just has never appealed to me. <laughs> uh, okay, well, duly noted. I, I won't uh, thrust it upon you then. But uh, there are some catastrophes or maybe some concerns that are going on. Yes. Um, in, in, you know, in, the, in Cardinal land, at least, right? Um, and... It seems as though maybe some of it right now is surrounding the, uh, the 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 Cardinals' offense, and in particular the new hitting coach. I guess is Mark McGuire. Um, what's how how is the sort of I guess a how does how are the Cardinals how's the Cardinals fan base reacting to this? And, and b uh, is it is it an overreaction? And what do you see as the actual problems that are occurring? Well, I might be kind of uh, operating out of a bubble because the Viva Albertos uh, commentary, as you mentioned, is just a very calm, very intelligent group, uh, very measured in their uh, in their responses to things. Um, I think small sample size is the most posted comment in Viva Albertos history. Uh, but it's it's not what Mark McGuire has done so much as just the fact that he exists gives. Uh, gives us something to attribute all of the Cardinals' uh, hitting maladies to. Um, early in the season, they kind of turned into a three-true-outcomes team. Uh, they hit a lot of home runs, walked a lot, struck out a lot. Uh, and it was kind of... Uh, there was really no expectation of that going in. Last year, they uh, saw very few pitches per plate appearance, and that was what got Hal McCray fired. Um and then later on this year, they uh, stopped hitting home runs. So it was just a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts. And that was probably the most frustrating brand of baseball you can watch, I think. 
Right, yeah, there's very little happening. Um, in which right is uh, is can kind of get depressing. Well, I know that um, I've also seen in the news, um, and just fr- from his uh, from his stat line thus far, Albert Pujols, while not necessarily scuffling, um, is not maybe playing like quite the superhero that he has in the past. Or it, it, maybe in particular, he's been a little bit more susceptible to balls outside of the zone. Is this something that you've observed just from watching the games? Uh, yeah, it's. It's another thing that's hard to talk about because he's so good most of the time that any uh, any brief scuffling, like you mentioned, gets us all very worried. I think that's the thing we're most susceptible to as a fan base is the concern that Albert Pujols is going to have that Frank Thomas second half to his career where uh, he's just not the same. And we're always worried it's going to begin now. Yeah, is, now is Albert Pujols, like even even if it's just a minor slump or whatever, like Albert Pujols playing badly, sort of reminds me of you know maybe being a child and realizing that your parents are flawed in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because he's he's so talented and he's such a rock. He's like nice because you don't ever have to think about him. Uh, and then as soon as you do think about him in a relative sense, uh, I imagine for the Cardinals fan, it's it's a little tough to to take uh, because you realize that like. He, he yeah he won't he won't be grandparents died too <laughs> yeah it's uh if you if you have to think about Albert Pujols it's for the wrong reasons um and I I mean I don't expect them to start aging this year and I he's had worse slumps to start a season uh, 2007 which is the last kind of non superhuman year on his uh on his register started it off a lot worse and uh, and ended up about like this so. Yeah. So yeah, and, and of course he is still Albert Pujols, so that's probably okay. Uh, another character in the uh, in the world of the St. Louis Cardinals is Brendan Ryan, who uh, I guess started to make a name for himself last year for a couple reasons. One, because um, I think his defensive metrics generally were off the charts. Uh, secondly, because he's a little bit of a character, um, in particular uh, brandishing a mustache, which I think is probably the most conspicuously interesting thing about him. Um, and he was involved in a in a pretty sweet uh, Cardinals commercial that I saw over the uh, over the winter, um, in which he grows yes, a mustache yes. uh, while spinning. However, in in recent days, Brendan Ryan's uh, maybe star has been shining a little less brightly. He uh, you'll know more about this to me, but maybe a couple defensive errors, and he just it really hasn't been hitting at all since the beginning of the season. Um, is this another small sample size situation, or are people a little bit less measured? Uh, as far as Brendan Ryan goes, uh, it's it's actually it's interesting. Um, Skip Schumacher, the Cardinal second baseman, has gotten off to a similarly ugly start, and people are kind of less worried about that because they don't like him as much. Uh, Brendan Ryan is just a really interesting guy. During spring training and even uh, even into the season, they've given him a uh, one of those flip video cameras, and he's been posting kind of video diaries of life as a Cardinal, and they're really interesting. And he's just this really funny, generally really uh, really loose guy. And uh, to see him pressing like he has in the last week or so has been just kind of frightening as a Brendan Ryan fan. You mean with the idea that uh, if he's not necessarily, if he's performing on his on the field, uh, maybe there's something, I don't know, sort of heartbreaking or um, superflu- superfluous seeming about his sort of extracurricular activities or just the fact that he might have to go away. Uh, yeah, that he might have to go away. It's it's like seeing someone uh, seeing someone who you who you care about instead of just a baseball player who you like because he's good at baseball. 
um, not do well and uh, and kind of operate in a way that reminds us as uh, kind of trigger-happy Cardinals fans of uh, Rick Ankiel's last turn as a pitcher where nothing seemed to go right and he just always had this really dour, beaten-down look on his face. Is this something that kind of hangs over all, all Cardinals fans is the, the sort of the memory of of Rick Ankiel and the possibility this this sort of thing could happen uh, again? Does this kind of loom over uh, the, the Cardinals fans, uh, you know, any any chances for enjoyment? Uh, I think so. He was uh, Rick Ankiel was far and away, the, I think, the best Cardinals pitching prospect I'll see in my lifetime. Um, just outstanding in all facets of base of the game. I mean, he could hit, obviously. He threw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, a big, uh, big curveball. Struck out everybody, and um, it, from then on, I've been, uh, yeah, I think Cardinals fans have been prone to seeing these exciting rookies as flashes in the pan and things that uh, too much emotional engagement will will hurt in the end, I guess. Do you remember, uh, I mean, do you think that for Cardinals fans, maybe uh, Rick Ankiel walking, uh, well, I'm sorry, I, I forget the opponent where he had his, his real major breakdown. I, I believe it was the NLDS against the Braves. The NLDS yes. against the Braves. Do you, do you think that maybe Cardinals fans can kind of remember where they were when that happened, uh, much the same way that people might remember where they were when uh, Kennedy was shot or the, you know, the Challenger exploded or something like this? Absolutely. I think uh, the Cardinals prospects kind of operate in this world that's a lot like uh, immediately post-9-11 literature where there's this really dark thing that nobody mentions that's in the background. And uh, nobody really talks about the direct effects. I mean, obviously, that's a really heavy-handed analogy, but it's um, it just keeps you from enjoying something in such a way uh, as you would otherwise. Right, and because I, doom, I, doom is looming around the corner. Yeah, and I certainly remember um, where I was when that happened, and also just that it kept happening. Like, it wasn't just the one instance where he couldn't, uh, find the strike zone. They kept bringing him back, and he kept not being able to find it. And it just got worse and worse until uh, people had basically forgotten about him uh, because they had to. Yeah. Now, for uh, again, as a you know, as a as a fan of baseball, uh, who's not necessarily a fan of the Cardinals, you, you know, the other sort of, I guess, popular narrative that's always coming out of St. Louis is is the Dave Duncan effect. Um, in what you know, in essentially Dave Duncan's capacity to um, to adopt any sort of uh, washed-up pitcher, um, typically I think teach him a sinker, and then uh, turn him into a star. Um, and I guess it, maybe you know because you were a little bit of an insider, it might be hard for you to differentiate how outsiders feel about it from how you feel about it. But how, what's that sort of narrative narrative like in St. Louis? I mean, is there is there like a, a sense of confidence for you as a fan that you could pick up Brad Penny or Kyle Loesch? Um, well, of course, um, one year, you know, some years of Kyle Loesch, or you know, but more <laughs> recently Joel Pinheiro maybe, and uh, you'll just be like, yeah, Dave Duncan uh, can take care of him, no problem. We'll have a decent pitching staff. Uh, yeah, it makes it hard as a blogger because I have a lot of confidence in Dave Duncan's ability. I mean, the Cardinals have led the league in ground ball to fly ball ratio for something like four years in a row now. Um, but I have no way of measuring it or knowing how, how it's going to work on a particular pitcher except 
taking his word for it. Um, so as, as someone who's kind of numerically inclined, it, it, it's difficult to talk about. We just kind of uh, accept it as a given. Yeah, well, actually, m- myself coming from a uh, you know, Red Sox fan base, uh, it's curious that I'm sort of uh, noting this now. Um, three recent success stories for the Cardinals, um, Joel Pinheiro, John Smoltz, at least for half a season last year, and Brad Penny, uh, in that order, I think the team they played for just before then, uh, in, in each of those three cases, well, of course, uh, Brad Penny I, I moved on in the latter half of last year, but in most cases it's the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, that's true. I I hadn't thought of that. Is there uh, is uh, John Mazeliak or uh, you know or someone else in the front office aware that is is this to sort of show up uh, the Red Sox and uh, you know do you think it has to do with 2004? I, th- I think they might be carrying a post 2004 grudge. I mean, I'm sure I still am. So I I have no idea what it's like for the people who are actually involved. Well, that's what life is like in a post 2004 world. Yes, Damn. yes. It's uh, the world is different now. You it just, is. You can't think the same way. I know. I know. Watching uh, ever since I had to watch Jeff Supan run the bases. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> I think my innocence is gone. Even though I was cheering against him. <laughs> oh man, I uh, life was never the same after that. <laughs> well, great. All right. So those are some. Those are those are some uh, sort of the narratives that are going on. Um, you know, for a for a St. Louis Cardinals centric blogger uh, but let's talk about uh, Dan Moore not necessarily as the uh, as the St. Louis Cardinals writer but as a um, I guess as a as a member of the the literary scene I don't know exactly how to phrase it but you did in fact go to um, University of Missouri I believe and you studied English mm-hmm. um, that's about all I know but tell me about and, and I, I will say that it's clear from reading your writing that you care about doing a good job, right? And it's not necessarily for you, and we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, it's not necessarily for you merely a way to share information. You also seem to be concerned about um, how you share it, right? I mean, can, I, can we just say this is a concern of yours um, to begin with? Is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I, as a lot of people who uh, go to the University of Missouri and end up in the English department, uh, Share. I started off as a journalism major, and um, in high school, I kind of wanted to be a sports writer just by default. And I fell into the English program after realizing that that wasn't really uh, satisfying for me in a way. And since then, I guess my blogging has gotten more literary and less journalistic as I realized I didn't have the tools to be a journalist. I mean, I I have no connections. I can do no research. Anything um, people see on Viva Albertos is something they could find themselves. Right. So it's more. So really, the point is, why why does someone choose to read uh, Dan Moore's take as opposed to someone else, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or as opposed to any take at all when the information is available to them. Uh, I mean, there's there's something really democratic about uh, writing on the internet that makes you think first of all. Why are people reading this when they could just be knowing it themselves? And what's the answer? Um, well, I don't know. But uh, for me, at least, it's been, I I like to think I have a certain way of looking at the Cardinals and a, at being a baseball fan uh, that's interesting to me and I hope is interesting to other people. Right. So, okay, so, so you went to the University of Missouri, you studied English, 
And I believe now you're on your way to an MFA program at Colorado State. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm curious. Uh, what you know? What in particular did you pick up at uh, University of Missouri? Um, you know, did you study sort of any particular eras in literature? Do, are there any that fascinate you? And clearly, you're producing some sort of work. I, I think it's fiction, although I'm not positive. Uh, you know, go ahead and, and, and get into that in a little bit more detail too. And you know, in particular, maybe some influences and uh, work you've been you've been um, you know doing recently. So I guess you know, start at start at uh, Missouri, and uh, you know, what you studied there that in in particular might uh, have influenced you. Uh, actually, most of the things that are a uh, major influence on my writing now, I picked up kind of on the side. Um, I'm really interested as a Midwesterner in, I guess, the kind of, the kind of literature of the Midwest that isn't, uh, about, you know, massive suburban wastelands where no one is fulfilled and everyone's, uh, committing adultery, et cetera. Uh, cause I mean, that's not the way I grew up. And, uh, I, I have a, uh, Long-standing fixation on the works of uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and um, I guess kind of the pre-adultery John Updike uh, are two major influences on my writing right now. Well, actually, with regard to uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, you do have another play that you wrote this past December called "Non-Tendered Is the Night." Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a play, I believe. Tender was the Tender Is the Night was his unfinished uh, his unfinished novel. Is that right? No, that was uh, it was his last finished novel. The oh. last tycoon is his uh, his unfinished work. Oh yeah, okay, right, right. So Tinder's the he actually did complete. Um, so F. Scott Fitzgerald. Now uh, you'll uh, uh, I apologize ahead of time for my ignorance. Is he a Midwesterner? I guess I always sort of placed him as a Long Islander, but that was only because of the Great Gatsby. Uh, he grew up in St. Paul, I think, um, and there's. That famous scene at the end of The Great Gatsby where Nick is talking about uh, getting back on the train uh, after school in winters I, in the winters, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always been really evocative uh, for me of a life I only kind of lived in the Midwest because I was a very insular kid for a while. And um, I think just that image of uh, security is what, get, what gets people out here in a place where they have... Uh, where they have their own space and their own car and their own uh, their own very kind of private lives. Well, no, actually, I'm uh, I, I myself am on the way on my way to the Midwest um, this uh, summer, where I'm going to be moving from Portland, Oregon, to Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, really? Yeah, and I I mean, is there anything that uh, to someone like me? I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived on the West Coast. Never in the Middle West. Uh, do you have any advice for someone like me? Uh, anything I need to know before before I approach the Midwest? Uh, I don't think there's a very uh, a very deep learning curve to it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I've known nothing else my entire life, so who am I to say? Um, I don't know. I've just always found it a very interesting and lively place compared to the treatment it gets in a lot of uh, modern fiction on the subject, which seems to be stuck in the same kind of uh, post-war mindset of it's this place where no culture happens and people cut off all ties with uh, the people around them. That wasn't your experience is what you're saying? No, not at all. Not at all. Now, in terms of uh, John, uh, John Updike, you also said, I believe, right? Yes. I'm, okay, I'm curious about two things. One, just his works in general, uh, you know, which ones uh, or which which in 
uh, you know, has had the you know most profound effect on you. Uh, additionally, uh, what what is the distinction between post and pre uh, extramarital affair for John Updike? Um, I don't know. I guess it's uh, my I guess my favorite Updike period right now is uh, the early short stories, uh, the same door and pigeon feathers in particular, and I I think there's just a um, I guess concerns, his concerns are more directly kind of existential, uh, where in his later work they're filtered through these, uh, through these things where, I mean, in his defense, I just can't relate. Uh, I mean, I'm not a middle-aged, uh, literary celebrity who's carrying on a lot of affairs. <laughs> so, so, so it's, like, it's, so who, uh, how many people does that, uh, describe though that's the that's the question <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not, I'm not sure uh, apparently quite a few it actually uh, kind of sounds like someone I wouldn't mind being now that you mention it <laughs> I, I mean there are worse lives I guess uh, right so that was yeah so that would be uh, hard to internalize I mean and I, I guess that's when you read his his earlier works can you sort of imagine uh, John Updike the young man having these concerns yeah um, I, I think there's just a uh, there's kind of a more direct line to the things he's always uh, writing. He's always written about, um, and I uh, something about that just really appeals to me. Okay, so so it appeals to you enough for you to try it yourself, and not just try it, but apparently do it well enough to get into uh, a real life MFA fiction program, I believe, at Colorado State. Yes. I guess. I guess. Uh, is I know that I you know I went to an MFA uh, creative writing program. And I was genuinely excited about it, about going. Um, it wasn't necessarily, you know, when I got there, it wasn't what I expected. It actually turned out being better than I expected. Um, I guess I was going to have time to write, and then I also ended up meeting a community uh, of people that I that I ended up caring for deeply and having a lot of fun with. Um, I guess I guess my question for you is, um, what are you looking for out of a out of the program? And you know what are your I guess what are your goals for once you get there? Um, personally, uh, my goals are just to use the two or three years to work on I guess the structural deficiencies in my writing. I I find I have a lot of trouble uh, carrying stories through to their conclusion, and I, more I think than I should be having. And uh, and I guess. In so doing, I want to kind of uh, better elucidate whatever themes I find myself getting at. Are you um, well? A couple things about that. Uh, one thing is, I'm curious. Um, since uh, as you've gotten deeper and deeper into the world of baseball blogging, have you ever found that any uh, strategies that you use in in blogging, or um, you know, things that you learn from blogging, ever begin to affect your fiction? It helps a lot just to have a deadline, to be honest. Uh, I mean, when you're writing short fiction or, or anything, as I'm, as I'm sure you know, uh, there's this really just kind of, uh, lonely feeling to completing it. Uh, I, I especially, I have not yet had a short story published and I feel like I'm just doing this, uh, for myself, which has never been my only goal. So writing for an audience and having expectations that I have to meet every day have been um, very interesting to me, and I think they've helped me. Well, and, and then maybe on the same line, um, you know, as a normal person, uh, sometimes 
it's it's it sounds a little bit funny to hear a baseball player talk about uh, how long the season is, right? I think that yeah. maybe you know as a base as a, as a fan you're like, well, who you know what? Who cares? You're playing baseball the whole time. I mean, that's probably um, a knee-jerk reaction that even a reasonable person could have. Um, although my sense is that probably once you get in, once anyone gets into a an activity deep enough and for long enough, you do start to realize the sort of endurance that's required. I imagine that writing stories uh, might offer that same sort of challenge, right? Where it's there are certain points where you're just like, man, even though this is fun, it's also kind of a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder if. Um, if you ever, you know, if, you, if that parallel ever occurs to you, if like maybe if you sort of uh, work through the difficult parts, if you ever kind of feel that same satisfaction that that a, a baseball player or athlete in general might feel. Uh, absolutely, I think uh, when you have to, when you've taken it upon yourself to write about baseball every day, December and January start to get incredibly long, <laughs> and you wonder how many times you've said the same, the things you're saying this morning already. Um, so I definitely have a lot of empathy for baseball uh, players who complain about it. But the, the length of the baseball season has always been one of my favorite things about baseball. Um, uh, things like football or even basketball, uh, it just seems like they're, they're over too soon and there's not enough time to really judge what's happened. And baseball is just kind of with you the entire summer and into the fall. Uh, it's it's something you take in kind of in the background sometimes every day, and uh, that's always appealed to me, even when I have to make myself write about it afterward. Right. Okay. Well, um, uh, unlike the baseball season, uh, podcasts are better kept, uh, you know, below nine months. That's uh, true. Uh, so I think that uh, we will end this particular episode, but I do want to uh, give you a heartfelt thanks, um, Dan Moore, for joining us today. And, uh, and for sharing some of your thoughts about uh, the Cardinals uh, blogging and uh, maybe your, uh, your, your life as a fiction writer. So thank you very much, sir. Well, thanks. Yeah, and uh, I am Carson Stooley, and this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.